Take your Bibles and turn to Deuteronomy 8, and then eventually we'll be in Exodus 32. Wilderness, we said last time, if you were here a week ago, is first about internal story and then about external story. We, if you remember the framework of Deuteronomy 8, four times in the text, verses 2, 5, 14, and 17, talk about your heart. In fact, heart is mentioned 43 times in Deuteronomy. In other words, it's not just God giving Torah and a bunch of commandments and rules that you have to obey. It's more than the externals. It's not just doing what God says. It's having a heart for him, a love for him and his word, and to doing the things that he asks you to do because you delight in him. And so we saw last week that that's the brunt of that chapter in its entirety. In fact, that chapter can be split uh, split up into two sections, the first being verses 1 through 10, and the second being 11 through 20. And I went through the similarities between the two paragraphs, and I put it as a graph. If you can put that up there between the two parts of the chapter, you can see it there. Um, they repeat each other. There's a lot of material, in fact, a lot of words that are in both sections. You can see there for yourself, humble heart, but not have a lifted up heart. That those are, don't have a proud heart, have a humble heart. And in fact, humble is used three times because it's crucial in the wilderness that you stay humble. Um, remember is in both texts. You can see the verses there. In fact, one's positive, remember, but the other one's don't forget. And it's two ways of saying the same thing. Testing you is in both paragraphs. Keep your commandments. And those are just the main ones. There are other similarities. But what the point of it is, is that God wants to stress to his people that you have to give God your all in the wilderness. He has to be in control of everything. You have to come to the end of yourself. And there's positive and negative training that has to take place if we're going to learn obedience. And our main thrust last time, if you remember, was that we had to learn to trust in God. And so that was our big question. Pride keeps us from doing that. And we have to learn to trust God when we look at our circumstances and our situations in the wilderness, and it doesn't look like things are going to turn out the way that we expected them to. It's interesting, as you read Deuteronomy 8 three times, in fact, many times in in Deuteronomy, but in our chapter three times, God says that he wants to give good to his people. He says in verses 7 and 10, I want to give you a good land. In verse 12, I want to give you good houses that you didn't have to work for or build. I want to give you good in the end. Now that's amazing um, when God says, I want to give you all this good stuff. And then they leave Egypt, they get out in the wilderness, and truthfully, it doesn't look like there's any good out there, right? And, and when will they ever get to the good? In fact, I would say that if you read the text in, in, in Exodus, as we're going to do in a little bit, you can read it in, starting in chapter 13. It says in verse 17 that when they left Egypt, that God didn't take them, and I'm paraphrasing, the direct route, and they would have got there in far shorter period of time, but it said God took them around the way that wasn't shorter or the long way because God had a purpose for that. Before they could actually enter the promised land and get their inheritance, they had to know what was going on in their heart, and they had to really know God much better than they did. They had to learn to trust him. So tonight, we could go by throughout the auditorium, couldn't we? And we could talk about and say, what wildernesses have you faced 
what wildernesses are you facing? And we could get so many stories that we could be here for a long time beyond the end of this service. Why? Because God purposes wilderness for us. There are lessons that he has for us to learn. One of my often prayers for people who are sick, lost their job, fighting cancer, is that they wouldn't miss any of the lessons God has for them. What I have found, if you read the New Testament, is specifically the prayers of the New Testament people, Paul and otherwise, you'll find that very seemingly rare to find them praying for people who have been sick. Um, It's very good to do that. Don't get me wrong. I'm certainly not minimalizing that. But what you find in the New Testament in particular, even in the old for that matter, is they're praying for spiritual growth, spiritual maturity, spiritual conformity to Jesus. And it's seemingly in their minds, the things that happen to you physically are certainly secondary to the things that are happening to you spiritually. And you begin to wonder and begin to see that reality and that pattern coming true through the wilderness, that God is far more concerned about people's growth and spirituality and the lessons they're learning about themselves and about him far more than if they go a day without food or they don't have water as much as they've liked or the sun's too hot. God is far more interested in that. In fact, we say it this way often. God is more interested in our holiness than our happiness. And some of the, letter, some of the lessons that we have to learn are not easy to learn. And that's why God says they're tests. They're things that he wants to teach us about ourselves so that as we walk through the wilderness that we'll learn to trust him. I don't know, this is, I'm sure, dating myself a little bit, but there used to be an old song that some of you people 50 and older will remember perhaps. More of like, Mike, I think maybe you'd know Greg's special music song. Do you remember Through It All? Through It All? You're going to come up? Go ahead, Mike. Come in. No, <laughs> yes, I thank God for the mountains. I thank God for the valleys. I thank God for the storms he brought me through. For if I'd never had a problem, it would, I would never know he could solve them. I'd never know what faith in God could do. Chorus, through it all, through it all. Oh, I've learned to trust in Jesus. I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word. But you notice what it says? Through it all. You remember what Paul said? For we are more than conquerors, what? Through him who loved us so, right? And I... And God is with us in all of those things. In those things, we are more than conquerors. Not around them, but through them and in them. Isaiah, right? The passage you think about. Isaiah 43, I'll go with you through the waters, through the fire. And it's not getting around them. It's not shortcutting them. It's not getting a quick exit from them. It's through them. It's through the furnaces and through the wildernesses and through the storms that we learn the greatest lessons of our lives. But... For most of us, that's not what we expect. I think James had it right. Does anyone know 1 Peter 4, 12 by heart? Think it not strange, and that's the King James. ESV says, don't be surprised by suffering. But I think we are. I think when we get the cancer diagnosis, we're surprised. I think when people rebuke us, and we get hassle and even persecution for our standpoint. We were surprised by it. You know why? Because we have expectations. We have expectations from our family. We have it from our spouses, from our children, from churches, from members of our church, from pastors, from politicians. 
uh, and on and on it goes. When I first got married, I had expectations of my wife, and they were because of how I grew up, mainly. Um, my dad and mom are both from Texas. My dad is from Beaumont, which is near Houston. My mom is from San Antonio, and they were southern to the T. Um, so in my dad mom's world, uh, my dad did all the guy stuff, and my mom did all the girl stuff. So my mom never took the car to get the oil changed. She never mowed the yard. She never built anything. Didn't do much except for flowers outside and stuff like that. But my dad would never do anything inside. He never vacuumed. He never cleaned. He never helped dust. And they never asked each other to do those things. They never had expectations. My dad would be literally watching the TV and a sports thing on his recliner. My mom would be sitting next to them. And he'd say, Mary Jane, can you go get me something to eat and drink? Now, he could have got, I mean, most people say, uh, your leg's broke. I think you could do it, right? Not my mom. My mom would say, of course, that's my job. I'll go, you know, and then an hour later, can you get me some chips? Here she goes. Right? So I would ask my mom, I'd come in from playing outside. Mom, can you make me a peanut butter and jelly? Mom, can you do this? Mom, can you do that? Mom, can you wash this for me? And they go, yeah, I'm the only one taking two things, putting the laundry. Of course I'll do it, right? That was my mom. That was my dad. That's how it worked. And I never knew that there was any other way to go. <laughs> so I get married. And of course, I learned that Chris's family weren't like that at all. Chris's dad could do anything and like doing it. He would iron his own clothes. What a sin. <laughs> you know? He could cook food. He worked outside. He could make things. He was mechanical, which you know I'm not. Uh, right? He could do all these things. And he would help out around the house. And he did, Roger did a lot of things, didn't he? He ruined it for me. Right? <laughs> my, I grew up, my dad was vice president of oil company. So if I had a basketball, I was getting a couple pair of new shoes, and that was where it was. I never thought about, hey, well, is there a deal going on? You know, is there a coupon? What was a coupon, right? So I went and did all that stuff, and my wife, my wife was, turn the lights off, don't run the water too long, you know, we're going to have a discount, get the coupon, blah, blah, blah. This is how they did all those things. So we get married, and I'm sitting on the couch watching a game. Chris, can you go get this for me? <laughs> Are you out of your mind? <laughs> no, she, she's way too nice for that, right? But she did like maybe the first time or two and then, eh, let's have a talk. Because, uh, you know, so she, then she informed me over the years, yeah, you'll, you, we need to start having you help do this and vacuum this and dust this and you can help out and do this. And, you know, I've mastered some of those things. She still would probably say I have a way to go, right? But in, and, you know, that's how it was. Now, my family from the South, we are all... You know, very like, um, if you come in the door and you don't kiss everybody and then you sit down and one of your cousins don't come and sit on your lap and then you get kiss everybody, you know, you know, this is how I love you, you know, and if you don't say I love you three times, you know, in the last week, then, oh my word, something's wrong, right? And so that's how, now they're German and they didn't, there was not that emotion and there was not all of that kind of, that kind of stuff where you do all that. So I come in from work and I walk in the door and I'm thinking like, Chris is in the kitchen. She's going to walk over and like, oh, honey, oh, I love you. And you're like, nothing. <laughs> and I'm thinking like, yeah, she's just tired or something. She'll come over eventually. Nope, didn't happen. And, and so I'm saying like, I love you. I just, you know, is that, is that how it works for you? And I go, 
Isn't it how it works for everyone? No, <laughs> right? We are really, really different. See, but I had expectations, and they weren't met. So you know what I learned to say? You know what? I learned to change those expectations. My whole life, in fact, I'll tell you, when I was a kid, all the way through high school, most of high school, sports was idolatrous to me. Literally, I played, I played basketball outside in the snow, which makes no sense. But I love sports, always watching it, playing it, going to games, practicing it. Everything revolved around it. And then when I gave my life to the Lord, it changed. But I still loved it. I do way, maybe a fraction of what I used to do. I'm too old, number one. But, um, so, but when I had children, I thought, wouldn't it be great to have boys first? Which the Lord blessed me with. And I thought, it'd be great to have boys first. My daughter last. They could take care of her. That would be great. Now the Lord gave me that. But my expectation was at first that I can't wait because my dad came to every game I ever had. I mean, every game. He flew back from London, England to see my last game in college. I mean, that's how serious it was. So my boys, I'm going like, oh, Lord, can you at least make them coordinated? (laughs) And so, you know what? Both my boys, neither one of them really played. Lance did a little bit, but neither one of them. I remember watching. I'm sorry, BJ. He's not in here tonight. Okay, forget it. Chris isn't in here either. This is perfect. Okay. (laughs) But I remember watching BJ a whole year of Little League. He just, he hit the ball one time and it was a foul ball. And it, the only time he connected. So I stood up and Chris, it was a foul ball. And all these parents, we stood up standing ovation just because he fouled it off. I thought that was, oh yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. my boy, foul ball, yeah, you know. But you know what? Because I expected that. But then I had to give that up and say, Lord, listen, that, that's not really what matters. It's what's on the inside. But, you know, we have expectations. You, ever, you have them? You still have them, don't you? We all have them. Um, but here's the question. What do you expect from God, and what do you expect from other people? God wants to know this. Last week is, do you trust me? Here's what he says this week. Am I enough for you? Am I enough for you? You see, we come to the text that we have here tonight In Genesis 32, if you'll turn there, you know the golden calf story. I don't have to repeat it to you. The first eight verses are crucial. They're at the holy mountain. Now, that's important, all the first verse of chapter 1, because there's a big gap between 19 and 20, which Moses is, you know, they're up in the mountain, the thunder and the lightning, and everybody's scared out of their mind, and nobody wants to get close, and they had to set up boundaries around Sinai. You can read that story a little bit in Hebrews 12. But it was a scary thing. And they said, Moses, you talk to God. We're not going to talk to him. He scares us. So this is what's going on. And then all these Levitical rules are given to them. And then it says that Moses went on the mountain and it was there 40 days and 40 nights. Now he's gone a long time. I don't think they knew the extent of the 40 days. I think it was, you know, they knew it afterwards. But Moses is delayed to come down from the mountain. The people gather together. And remember what they're experiencing. They want, they're supposed to have good land, good houses, and they haven't had it. They've already been complaining back earlier on in 16 and 17. They haven't got water. They don't get it often enough. They don't get food, even though he gave them quail and manna. They've been complaining. Why? Because, and, and here's the mantra. Ready? I counted them, believe me. I counted them over and over and over. Here's what they say. 
Why did you take us out here? We should have stayed in Egypt. Egypt, Egypt, Egypt. And here's the expectation. You know, we're going to the promised land and we should take the shortest route. And God, it should be really easy and we should get there and we'll be a better nation than Egypt ever was. We'll have more things because this is a land flowing with milk and honey. We should have all this stuff. We should be Egypt 2.0. And it hasn't turned out to be anything like they thought it would be. They have all these expectations. And now to boot on top of it, the guy who led us out there, he's gone up on the mountain. And you know what the mountain's like. He ain't coming back. And they don't know what to do. You know why? Because they have all these expectations of what God should be like, and what Moses should be doing, and it isn't happening. And you know what they do? They build a calf, a golden calf. Now it's interesting. I put as a principle on there, if you put up there, Steve, is that unmet expectations fuel idolatry. So how important it is that you monitor and manage and biblically respond to unmet expectations? Crucial. You want to see how crucial? We may touch it later in another day. Read 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 13 one time. Verse 7 says this quotation of the people rose up to play Right? And it's the quotation from this passage of the immorality and everything, they were, the false worship they were doing. And it says, and they fell in the wilderness, and with most of them, God was not well pleased, and their carcasses, they died there, it says. So this is a crucial passage, not just for Old Testament saints, but for all of us. And here's what it is. See, unmet met expectations, as one person, and I'll quote, is one of the biggest dangers and enemies that we face in the 21st century. I mean, do you have expectations? I know this. I go out. When I first came here, I could pull out of the driveway, and I would pull out and just almost pull out every time. You can't pull out anymore. I pull out of there, and I have to wait. There's 20 cars, and I know they call each other and time it, going from both ways, right? And I I have these expectations, little things like, why in the world does it take this long? Stupid things, how long the light is. We have expectations. This should be faster. What's going on? My internet speed. This is nuts. I mean, on and on and on, right? Now, you think that doesn't matter, but I can, I can tell you this. In my life, I found out little things always lead to big things. And if you, don't have un, if you have unmet expectations, let me tell you this. You think it was a little thing about the water and the little thing about the food, and you kind of look at them and say, yeah, if I was in the wilderness and yeah, I was going through what they were doing, and it was desolate out there and it was horrible, yeah, I'd probably complain a little bit if I got hungry for a couple days or thirsty too. Really? You know Why? Because this is where it heads. It heads to and directs our lives to idolatry. And I want to show you this. It's insidious. They make, in fact, Aaron tells them, go get all your earrings and blah, blah, blah. And he puts them all together in this pot. You know, when Moses questions him later on, this is crazy. He says, what, what did you do, Aaron? He said, well, you know how your people are, number one. Your people, not mine. And then he said, you know, I put all the stuff in there and they made me to it. And then this calf popped out (laughs) popped out it says in the bible that you stood around and carved it are you kidding me but see that's what now you're making rationalizations and excuses but this this is what they say they didn't serve a different god they kept yahweh as their god because this is the god they said that brought us out of the land of egypt they know who brought them it's not like they're ignorant they made a golden calf and you know what they did they named it yahweh You know why? Because they didn't switch gods. They just kept the one they had 
and redefine them. You know what? Instead of God making them in his image, they made God in theirs. And they redefined him to be the kind of God that they wanted him to be. Can I tell you this? When you get and go through unmet expectations, you know what the temptation is? If God isn't going to do what I want and when I want it, guess what? Then I'll just remake him. See, I'll get a golden calf of my own, call it the same name, and then just make him do what I want. You know why? Because we want control. But the, the place of wilderness is this. The wilderness is a place of new dreams and new desires that God gives. See, he had to reshape them because obviously coming out of Egypt, they had the old desires of what they thought would make them happy and bring them satisfaction and joy. They expected this kind of stuff out of God. And when he wasn't doing what they wanted, when they wanted, see, they started complaining. They start, and then they said, well, we're just going to veto that part of God and we'll make you a different kind of God that we can control. And God wants to ask you tonight, in the middle of your wilderness, in the middle of your difficulties, when things aren't going right for you, and you had expectations that I thought my marriage would be different. I thought my kids would turn out a different way. I certainly thought my career would be better. I really thought that my spiritual life would progress far beyond what it is at this point. And you're looking for blessedness, and all you find is barrenness. And God isn't doing what you want, and certainly not when you want, because you would tell us tonight about your prayers that you've prayed over and over again on your knees, perhaps tears coming down your eyes, out of your eyes, and and your expectations are anything but being met. Be careful, and wilderness warning is this, it can lead to idolatry. It can lead to you redefining God and who he is and what he's like. You know why? Because they lost the vision of who he really was. You know what the scariest, crazy thing about this text is? They've been at the mountain for a little bit of time now, at least a month. And the first thing they saw, remember I said said it once, thunder, lightning, smoke, fire. You can't get near it. If you touch the mountain, you'll die. I mean, they won't even go there to hear God. Moses has to tell them. That's how scary it is. Now, that was a month ago. But what happened when Moses was up on the mountain? They're still at the mountain. The fire and lightning is still going on. It's still the same scenario. But right in front of God, they can make it a golden calf. How does that happen? How does it, in fact, the Bible says they go away from God so quickly and God says to Moses when he's up in the mountain, you got to get down because here's what the people are doing. And he goes, it's so bad. Let me tell you, let me wipe them out and make you a nation that's far greater and better than them. So if you want to know how God feels about our idolatrous responses to unmet expectations, there's a good indication of it. I've come to the realization, and I want to put this on there. Can you put the uh, picture? There you go. This is what it looks like when you were encamped as an Israelite. Every time they moved, they had to take all this down. In fact, they had, they had certain people that their job was to do this. Take it down, put it back up, and it was so precise because you had to do it exactly how God prescribed, including carrying the ark and all the utensils and everything that went in the tabernacle. So every time you, you went, this is what the tabernacle was at the center of the camp, and you can see it. 
Each section, there are 12 of them for the 12 tribes, and they all were around the tabernacle. Now, this is probably a guess of how that looked, how the 12 tribes did it. You, you remember, we're talking a couple million plus three million people. So a lot of people going here, right? But here's how they were. And then you can see Moses' tent, Aaron and his sons over here that they go into when they're getting, but then the tabernacle. But the whole point of that is this. This is how it works. This is what it looks like every day, every day. The idea is that this is a visual statement of what is supposed to be going on in the wilderness. You know what it is? God, the center of everything and everyone else's life and everything about their lives, all surrounding God at the center. He is the one to be worshiped. Everything, everything is about him. See, their identity as the God's people was so different than all the other nations, different than all the kings of the other nations. Exodus 19.6 says that God has chosen them to be a kingdom of priests. See, their number one identity was to have a relationship with God and then mediate that relationship to other people. But when they made the golden calf, they turned their back on both of those things. See, you know why? Because of unmet expectations. They forgot who they are, how they're supposed to live, and what mission they were on. Completely forgot all of those things. I wrote down this principle. You can't stand before the nations unless you first learn to stand before God. See, you're not ready to go into Canaan You're not ready to face all the other nations and not be like them. You're not ready to fight the battles. You're not ready to trust God against Jericho and the walls and the giants. You're not ready for that if you haven't stood before God. And that was the whole thing. Wilderness teaches you everything. Here's every day. God is the sinner. I stand before him. I keep his Torah. I watch his word. I follow him. I trust him. He is enough for me every day. He's proved it for 40 years. Manna, quail, water, protection, all of it. That's why wilderness survival training is absolutely crucial for our Christian lives. Because without those lessons, we're not ready to go outside these walls. We're not ready to go out into this world that is against us in so many ways in that sense. All the beliefs that we hold are contrary to what they believe. And you'll never be able to stand that at your job. You'll never be able to do that in your community, in your neighborhood. You'll never be able to be the witness and boldly proclaim the gospel as we ought to if we don't stand before him. If he's not the center of our lives, we'll never be able to get through the wilderness. We'll never learn the lessons that God wants us to do. He wants to work in our lives. He wants us to say this. I am your expectation. Look at Psalm 62, 5 sometime. Where do I get my expectations? My expectations come from God. The psalmist says that's where you should get them. It's the key to your marriage. It's the key, because let me tell you this, unmet expectations are not a marriage problem, only it's a life problem. It's a life problem. We all have struggles, and I'll close with this. If you say, Pastor Walker, how do I know if I have unmet expectations Last slide, Steve-O. Heavy on the shoulds. I put that on there. Heavy on the shoulds, meaning this. My wife should do this. 
My children should. My church should. My friends should. See, my country should. Heavy on the should. See, that's what happens. God, you should never let that happen to me. I should never make any mistakes. I should never have this. You should never say that. Heavy on the shoulds. That's, that's, that's one of the chief marks of people who are not responding to unmet expectations. People and God and even on themselves are all about shoulds instead of about God's glory and his grace. Expectation is the mother of frustration. And the reason is because we are willing, like Israel, to exchange intimacy for immediacy. It's not that we want to get close to him. We want to get what he can give to us. And what we know we don't realize is the greatest thing that he can give to us is more of himself. So let me ask you tonight, what are you expecting from God? What are you expecting from others? Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight in Jesus' name. We come asking for help. We lift our eyes tonight to the hills. That's where our help comes from. Our help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. You are not just the God of Canaan. You are the God of the wilderness. And I don't know tonight, here or on live stream, who and what is happening in the lives of people and the wildernesses they're facing. But I pray that they wouldn't miss a single lesson that you have for them. May they learn that they can trust you and may they learn that you are enough. You're enough even when the water may not be. You're enough when the quail and the manna may not be. When it doesn't come when we think it should and the money isn't always what we want it to be and our relationship isn't the perfect thing we thought it would be. And we want to say over and over again, well, it should be, it should be, it should be when it's not. Father, help us because perhaps tonight we are guilty like God's people of Israel. We want to redefine you. We want to remake and shape you. We want a God that we can control and we want to go back to Egypt. God, help us to see that only leads to destruction and disaster. Oh, you have an inheritance for us. You have Canaan for us. But before we reach it, there are so many things we have to learn about you and ourselves. Give us the kind of heart that will walk with you through the wilderness in such a way that brings glory to you. And we'll thank you and praise you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.